I, uh, I just want to give a gentle reminder, it's been a long time since we've done this, that our church gatherings are fragrance-free zones because we have some folks that are highly allergic to some of the ingredients in perfume and cologne, and it just makes them really sick. So just wanted to remind you of that. So I have some of the same frustrations that pretty much everybody has when I go to the doctor. You, you know, once you sign in, the first room that you're in, before you go back, what do they call that room? The waiting room. Has there ever been a place that was more aptly named? Sometimes you wait and you wait and you wait. And then, uh, then you get to go back. They call you back to the examining room. But that's a trickeration. Because a lot of times that room is just another waiting room. You're waiting and waiting again for the doctor. And then at least sometimes while you're waiting for the doctor, they, you have to wear this weird little robe that, quite frankly, is missing some essential components, if you know what I mean. And I think part of the reason for that is so if you get impatient while you're waiting, you can't just leave. <laughs> or at least it wouldn't be a very good idea. You know, the other odd thing, the nurse asks you if you have a list of your prescriptions. And I'm like, doesn't the doctor have a list of my prescriptions? He's the one who prescribed them to me. That seems kind of weird to me. Uh, but, but seriously, out of all the doctors that I've ever seen in my whole life, there's one doctor that really stands out as my favorite. And the one thing that I most appreciate about him is that when he would see me, he would never, ever rush, not even a little bit. And, he was ne and it was never like he was distracted. He was always totally focused on me and listening to my uh, every, every concern that I had. Even if I had, a whole, even, even if I had a whole list, it seemed like he would never rush. And he was always a, a thousand percent focused on me and, and my concerns and trying to make sure uh, that I was well. And that actually reminds me of something that I've noticed about Jesus in the Gospels. He may have this throng of people around him, a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of people vying for his attention, a whole bunch of concerns, but so often you see him just so totally focused on the person that he's with at that moment. He is, he is in the moment, and you, you may have heard somebody say, wherever you go, there you are. Wherever Jesus went, he was present. He was fully there. He was engaged. And a lot of times, even with the throng of people about him, it's as if the person that he's talking to is the only person in the whole world. I love that about Jesus. And after he's taken the time that he needs with that person, then he'll move on to the next thing that he has to do. But he's not looking over their shoulder while they're trying to talk to him. And I actually want to look at a couple of examples from the Gospels. And the first one is Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, Jesus is dealing with a man who uh, had a skin disease. Uh, it's called leprosy. Um, this is really one of my favorite stories from the Gospels about Jesus because it gives us insight into his character and how he treated people. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy, when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. 
Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now, at first glance, this just seems like a standard account of a healing from the Gospels. Jesus often encountered people who were either sick or had various physical problems, and he was compassionate and he healed them. Um, but there's one thing that just jumps out to me like flashing red lights in this particular account. Jesus touches the man. You may have noticed that as we read the, the story. He didn't have to touch him. Of course he didn't. Sometimes Jesus healed people even at great distances. The, the, the Gospels record that. Uh, even from a long distance, he could heal people. So it wasn't an absolute necessity in terms of uh, for the healing to take place for Jesus to touch the man. But Jesus touched the leper who was an untouchable person. Can you imagine an existence in which if you tried to shake somebody's hand, they would recoil in horror, maybe shriek? Well, since the COVID, maybe you have had that happen. Uh, but can you imagine a life completely bereft of human contact, no touch at all? It'd be hard for me. I'm, I'm a hugger. Uh, I can't imagine such a life. There have been exper experiments done over the course of e even decades uh, with babies in large institutions, uh, babies that needed to be cared for and changed, and, and, and they found that babies fare better when somebody touches them regularly and fawns over them. And I mean more than just clinical contact where you, you know, just change the diaper and, and give them uh, the bottle and that's all. Uh, we're talking about caring and affectionate human touch. Babies do better and babies that don't get this quite frankly tend to die, which uh, makes it fascinating that God put this instinct in us that when we see a baby we want to fawn over them and make little noises that they'll respond to and uh, in a caring and affectionate way we want to hold them. God put that instinct in us and that's a need that babies have. And I said that to say this, I believe that Jesus took the time and the care to look into this man's heart and soul and see his real need and his deepest need. Jesus not only healed him, he touched him. I love that about Jesus, his deep compassion, his incredible sensitivity to human need. I think that should make us love him all the more. So let's, let's fast forward two chapters to Luke chapter 7. Luke seven eleven. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. 
When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. The news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Wasn't only Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead, was it? Did you notice in verse 13, I guess you couldn't help noticing, when Jesus saw this widow who had obviously lost her husband as well, who had lost uh, her only son, his heart went out to her. Then he tells her, don't you cry. And then he does the thing that she most needs to help. He gives her back her son. Jesus did not just do assembly line healings. He cared for individual people. His heart went out to people. He paid careful attention to each person. More than once, he wept over them. Jesus helped literally thousands of people during his three-year public ministry. Sometimes he was so busy he didn't have time to eat. The Bible says that. Uh, at times he was so busy helping people, his family thought he had taken leave of his senses, and they, uh, they thought he had lost his mind, and they tried to take charge of him and maybe force him to get some food and rest. Jesus helped so many people, and so often in the biblical record we see these little human touches. He cared about prostitutes cared about tax collectors that everybody else hated. In the next chapter, chapter 8, the woman who had a bleeding disease, when Jesus healed her, he tenderly calls her daughter. To the hated tax collector Zacchaeus, Jesus says, I'm going to your house today. After he's raised a little girl from the dead, he says to her parents, get her something to eat. All of these wonderful details that are in the sacred record, they remind us of something that is hugely important, and it is this. God loves each of us as individuals. God loves us uniquely. God loves you uniquely and personally, and he recognizes details about you because Jesus says, even the very hairs of your head are numbered. And that's not a statement about hair primarily. God has that much care for you. He is that concerned. He's paying that much attention to every little detail of your life. And so whatever's going on in your life, God cares about that. When our cat died and we were sad, I believe that that mattered to God. For those of us who have had a, a sick parent, a parent with Alzheimer's, I believe that God takes notice of that. In fact, I know he does. If you're having a difficult relationship in your life, that matters to God. Now, of course, God cares about the biggest, biggest, biggest stuff. You know, the apostle Peter wrote, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everybody to come to saving faith in him and to be on the road to heaven so he can take them home forever. You remember that Jesus said there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, one person, one person. God loves each and every one of his children. Uh, he rejoices when even one person's person chooses faith in him and chooses salvation. But he cares about things that are smaller than that, too. If you're having difficulty at work, if financial troubles are mounting, the things that frighten you, 
the pandemic that has been going on and on and on for a year and a half, the thing in your life that you're apprehensive about, God wants you to trust him with all these things. Uh, the Bible says, cast your burdens and cares on him because he cares about you. Ephesians 2 teaches us that we are God's workmanship. And there's a very special word that's used in the original language. It's the word poema. You may recognize that we get our English word poetry from this word. Uh, but originally, the word indicates the, the, hand, the handwork of a craftsman. Somebody who's working with leather or some kind of material. We are God's handcrafted creations. Now, if you just look down at your hand, you have a fingerprint that is completely unique. Nobody on earth has a fingerprint exactly like yours. And that points to a, a crucial reality. You have a unique personality, a unique set of life experiences, a unique set of gifts. And God made you because he wanted a son or daughter just like you. God made you because he wanted a son, he wanted a daughter just like you. You are not an heir. God doesn't make mistakes. In the movie Fight Club, Brad Pitt's character, Tyler, says, you are not special. You are not a beautiful or unique snowflake. You are the same decaying organic matter as everything else. To the contrary, the Bible truth is that God loves us and cherishes us. We are each of us. We are his beloved sons and daughters. We are uniquely valued, and so I can say unequivocally, you are indeed special. You singular, you are indeed special. Think of it this way. God is a, an infinite being. He is all-powerful, all-wise, all-knowing, and he has an infinite amount of care and love. He is so great that he loves us, not just generically as this numberless throng of seven and a half billion human beings. He doesn't just love us as this great mass of humanity. An infinite God with an infinite amount of love and care personally loves each of us as his sons and daughters, and he personally loves you so that you have an intimate and personal relationship with your creator. That makes sense, doesn't it? And isn't it wonderful? He knows your name. The very hairs of your head are numbered. He knows your fears. He knows your worries. He knows your hopes and your dreams. And he's paying attention. He hasn't forgotten about you. And one more thing. That means that every person that you encounter this next week, every person you meet, everyone you pass on the street or see on, uh, on the highway, every neighbor, every family member, every coworker, every person you make eye contact with this week is of infinite value. The alcoholic who asks you for spare change, every prisoner is created in the image of God, a person crowned with dignity and honor, a person worthy of respect, and a person who should be loved. Every person. One day I was in a store and I saw a woman pushing a child in a stroller. This child, instead of arms and hands, had flippers and, and had other very significant handicaps as well. And at that very moment, I was reminded that each person, whether they're a Nobel Prize winner or whether they're uh, profoundly handicapped or uh, whatever's going on with them, each person is of enormous value to God. And that means each person should be of great value and worth to us, doesn't it? 
the logic is clear. If every person is of infinite value to God, uh, then every person should be of enormous worth to us. And I believe our culture has this exactly wrong. Culture says that you're important if you have a special talent or if you're a high achiever or if you're physically beautiful or rich or famous. God says you're important, you're valuable because I made you in my image and likeness and I love you. We're valued because we are children of our Heavenly Father. You are valued because you're a child of your Heavenly Father. There are many people in this world for whom the idea of love is very hard to process. As children, some were molested by a person who professed to love them. As children, some were physically or emotionally abused by one or both of their parents. Or there's another person as a teenager who was seduced by somebody who told her they loved her and then threw her away like a used tissue. There's the man who started a business with a close friend and that friend then proceeded to cheat him out of his very last dollar. There are people who are angry at God and mad at the world because they've lost a loved one and it feels like they've lost absolutely everything. There's the young mother who was deserted by her husband and she has small children to care for and it's absolutely overwhelming. And how do you learn to trust people after something like that? There are so many people who have a hard time embracing love and the call of our God to our hearts is to love them anyway. Maybe I should say that again. There are so many people who have a hard time embracing love, and the call of God to our hearts is to love them anyway. Sometimes defenses are broken down. Sometimes walls come crumbling down and become bridges. So today I ask you, as we're we're closing, I ask you, will you fully embrace God's love for you? Will you allow yourself to be so saturated by God's love, so moved and compelled by God's love, that you live a life uh, of radical love toward other people? Let's stand up and sing the song of encouragement. Uh, If you want to share a need uh, with the family, just come to the front and let us know. Let's stand up and sing.